0: But right now, you know, we see the media is consistently pointing to the war in Ukraine and COVID-19 as being clear sources of this food price inflation. Um, and so I think uh, citizens in a lot of countries are more cognizant of the fact that their governments have little room for n- maneuver.
1: As Russia's war on Ukraine worsens, the issue of rising food prices and accessibility has come to the forefront. In this episode, we will examine the key causes of the current global food shortage and its effects on countries such as Africa, Egypt, and Sri Lanka. We will discuss the effects that increases in food prices have on civil unrest and global conflict, as well as on food insecurity and exports. Finally, we will explore the various responses to the food crisis from international organizations and governments, as well as the future of the global food shortage. Joining me today on the podcast is Ms. Danielle Resnick. Danielle Resnick is a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, whose research focuses on the political economy of development with a regional specialization in sub-Saharan Africa. She has lived, conducted fieldwork, and engaged in policy outreach in multiple countries, including Botswana, Ghana, Nepal, Nigeria, Senegal, and South Africa. We hope you enjoy this new episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lauren. So um, as we've seen so far, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine has inflated many trends, such as supply chain shortages and increasing energy costs. But currently, uh, one of the biggest issues is the global food crisis. Can you explain what this shortage is and how the war in Ukraine has exacerbated it?
0: Yes. So many people are really focusing on the impacts of the war on uh, food security and food shortages. Um, there's at least three channels that are affecting food shortages at the moment as a result of the, of the war. Um, the, the sanctions uh, against Russia and also the blockade of the Black Sea ports, um, are really affecting exports of, uh, fertilizer. Um, as well as wheat and uh, other types of commodities like sunflower oil, and then also certain seeds um, that are really key. And so all of that uh, obviously affects the the food system. Um, Russia is one of the the few countries in the world that produces all three types of fertilizer, um, particularly nitrogen-based fertilizer, which is really important for sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, which has otherwise really low soil fertility and, and depends quite heavily on imports of fertilizer. But then of course, um, regions like uh, Africa and the Middle East are heavily dependent on Russia and the Ukraine for wheat imports. And that you know shortage of wheat is then having knock-on effects for other types of uh, cereals and grains, including uh, rice and maize in the region. So, um, all of those channels are are really kind of uh, exacerbating and building on each other to create uh, some of the rising food price inflation that we're seeing. On top of that, of course, the uh, the increasing fuel costs attributed to the war, um, that has knock on effects because fertilizer, for instance, really requires fuel um, to be processed. And then uh, the fuel costs affect shipping, shipping rates of different, fuel go- different food goods from across the globe. So it's kind of the perfect storm uh, coming together uh, all at once as a result of the current crisis.
1: That's so interesting. I know you kind of mentioned Russia's important role as an exporter of fertilizer and wheat. How have um, Western sanctions worsened Russia's ability to export these goods? And how has Russia responded to the expanding global food crisis?
0: So the West has been really specific in emphasizing that they haven't actually put direct sanctions on fertilizer and um, wheat or seeds, Um, but actually because Russian banks have been excluded from the SWIFT payment system, that's really made it difficult for um, other countries to pay Russia uh, for its exports. Um, So, you know, unless you're going to pay Russia in rubles, um, it's very difficult for for countries to be able to, to actually import those goods. Um, and then it has reverse effects uh, for countries uh, such as in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, many countries in that region have in, in recent years turned to Russia as a new export market. Um, so countries like South Africa and Kenya um, actually export quite a lot of food, um, particularly citrus exports from South Africa, um, tea, uh, fruit cut flowers from Kenya, Um they export quite a lot to Russia, um, but now have been hit because they they don't want to be paid in in rubles uh, for their goods. So there's there's on on both ways, both in terms of imports and exports, um, the sanctions have had these these indirect effects through the um, exclusion of Russian banks from SWIFT and its central bank exclusion from from various international operations.
1: Great, and I guess what other factors behind beyond the war in Ukraine have contributed to the critical status of the global food crisis right now?
0: Yeah, so this has really come at a, pr- a pretty pretty bad time um, already for the global food system. By the end of 2021, there was actually already an almost 40% increase in the price of food compared with the average for the same period for the previous five years. And so that was very much you know linked to climate shocks um, conflict in places like uh, the Horn of Africa, which really hurt agricultural production. Um, and then, of course, COVID-19, you know, globally hits uh, food, su- food supply chains, um, you know, really already slowing down imports and exports of food. So all of that really came together um, even before Russia invaded Ukraine, on top of that, China just before the invasion had actually placed a ban on fertilizer exports that occurred around January of 2022, and then since uh, since the invasion, we've seen other countries put export bans on critical food goods. Uh, like Indonesia had placed one on palm oil. It's only just recently lifted that, and you might have recently seen that India's placed a ban on on wheat exports, Malaysia's done the same on chicken. Um, And then on top of all of this, we've had rising interest rates, particularly in the U.S. That creates an indirect channel on the food system. Um, And, you know, in regions like sub-Saharan Africa, you have about 20 countries that are in debt distress. And so when interest rates go up, servicing the interest on your debt goes up and so governments have even less money to support uh, the import of food or fertilizer especially as the prices of those goods continue to to skyrocket so a lot of different factors uh, you know coming together um, many of which were already in place before the invasion
1: yeah, so I'd like to focus a little bit on Africa. You've talked about how Africa relies on exports from Russia and Ukraine. And how might this global food crisis worsen food insecurity in, Russia, in um, Africa and in places where food insecurity is already a major issue?
0: Yeah, so there's certainly a high level of alarm about this worsening food insecurity. Um, we've seen many reports about this in, in the media and various United Nations bodies arguing that something urgent needs to be done. Um, I think who is going to be most hurt really requires much more rigorous analysis. There's certainly desperately poor areas of Africa that have been badly hit from other crises like drought or flooding, um, and the, they will be even further you know, hurt by food price inflation. So thinking again about the Horn of Africa, badly hit by the war in in Ethiopia over the last year and a half, um, but also drought in northern Kenya, uh, flooding and conflict in northern Mozambique. Um, Really here, you certainly will have worsening food insecurity. You also have places in the Sahel, um, like Chad, which just declared today a national food emergency. Uh, These regions, you know, also being hit by by insurgent conflict, um, by military coups, and of course, uh, climate change um, creating drought conditions there. But on the other hand, a lot of the fuel and wheat price increases will most directly hurt urban consumers in Africa. Um, it's, it's mostly urban consumers who who eat bread products, um, and so you know they are not traditionally the most food insecure. Uh, communities in the region. In the last food price crisis that we had around 2007-2008, Actually, in rural areas, which tend to have higher food insecurity, farmers were some of the beneficiaries of higher prices uh, for food goods. So, of course, this this all means that you need really nuanced analysis. Um, How badly farmers will be hurt, perhaps, by fertilizer price increases is is an open question. Um, You know, and, and the availability of other types of staple goods like sorghum or millet that urban consumers might be willing to substitute. substitute for, um, could also mitigate, um, even if they won't uh, totally erase, but at least mitigate uh, some of the effects of the uh, price increases that we're seeing for for things like wheat.
1: Yeah, the situation seems a little bit um, dire, I guess. How are governments in Africa responding to this uh, global food shortage?
0: So I can't speak for all governments in the region, but I could, can talk about like a place like Kenya. Um, I've recently just come back from Kenya. Um, of course, this is very much uh, on the fore, forethought of policymakers there as the country's facing an election in, in about two months. So there, the Ministry of Agriculture's been focusing on um, reducing import duties. There's about 10 percent import duty on a lot of food goods that come into the country. Um, also, reducing export levies so that uh, exporters have more of an incentive um, to ship their goods overseas that creates more foreign exchange for the government. Um, also, considering alternative um, locations for imports of, of things like wheat. They were originally looking at India as, a, as an option for, for wheat uh, imports. Um, I'm sure that's been shifting since India has put a a ban on its exports of wheat. And also what we've seen is in the markets, there's a a lot of people in urban areas in Africa source their food from what are called informal or wet markets. Um, And so many counties in Kenya have actually reduced the taxes or what are called the cess rates that traders need to pay to sell their food in the markets. Um, And since the traders don't have to pay the local government as much money the idea is that hopefully this will also keep prices down or at least more bearable for poor urban consumers so a variety of different um, fiscal measures that are being uh, looked at at least in that context Early on in the um, crisis, Senegal back in in late February, um, it was also looking at some of these fiscal measures and expanding consumer subsidies for other types of food goods like rice, sugar, and vegetable oil.
1: I also just wanted to um, talk about major importer countries um, such as Egypt. How has the war in Ukraine um, affected food accessibility there and um, imports as well?
0: Yeah, so Egypt's been... You know, probably one of the worst hit um, because of its high dependence on wheat imports from the Black Sea region. Um, I think about eighty percent of its wheat imports came from that region, and it's it's quite dire because Egypt has, for many decades, had a bread subsidy program that feeds about seventy million people, and that subsidy is a really important component of the social contract between the state and its citizens. Um, So the Minister of Finance just recently had said, you know, that they actually they have sufficient wheat to get through the end of the year. Um, They're trying to source from alternative countries like Mexico and Pakistan. And they're also trying to better streamline eligibility for its food subsidy programs, ensuring that really only the truly needy, um, the desperately poor, are actually receiving these subsidies. So, um, you know, though, though very much affected um, through the wheat channel, um, the, the finance minister, minister, at least, has been trying to put um, a, a positive spin on their ability to, to cope with the crisis.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I guess I kind of wanted to talk about, um, global conflicts and, um, how the food shortages, the food shortage crisis has affected, um, these global conflicts. For example, in the past, um, one of the root causes of the Arab Spring, um, a major uprising in Middle Eastern countries, was a rapid increase in grain prices. And in recent months, we've seen a similar trend in increased civil unrest and conflict in areas such as Sri Lanka and the Middle East. How might the global food crisis aggravate these issues, especially in regard to the debt crises, uh, political instability, and inflation?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for me personally, I'm actually surprised that we're not seeing more protests at the moment. Um, Sri Lanka, I think, is quite a unique situation because the government had banned inorganic uh, fertilizer in 2021. Um, It didn't want to have any type of uh, inorganic fertilizer. And that was very much opposed by farmers and others in the agricultural value chain. Um, It lowered domestic production significantly. And on top of that, there had been a long time when people were going without water and electricity because the government was was rationing foreign reserves um, on imports. So I think think Sri Lanka is quite a unique situation. Um, I think uh, for other countries, other developing countries, during the 20, 2007, 2008 global food price crisis, we saw a lot of um, urban-based pr- uh, protest. And at that time, there wasn't a clear cause for what was really driving up prices. And therefore, a lot of people blame their governments. Um, but right now, you know, we see the media is consistently pointing to the war in Ukraine and COVID-19 as being clear sources of this food price inflation. Um, And so I think uh, citizens in a lot of countries are more cognizant of the fact that their governments have little room for maneuver. Um, And so, you know, there have been protests, um, but they haven't been clearly about food price increases. They've been about demands for wage increases, or disgruntlement with government corruption. Um, So those things are implicitly linked to the cost of living, but not explicitly linked to food price inflation. So I think, you know, a lot of this remains to be seen um, in terms of how much more prices go up, um, what other uh, tactics governments are able to do to to quell grievances, Um, but I'm I'm not sure that it's a completely uh, equal parallel to what we saw uh, more than a decade ago with the global food price crisis then.
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, I was also wondering, as the global food crisis becomes increasingly um, dire, how have the UN and NATO really responded to this issue?
0: Well, I mean, as I noted earlier, it's a lot of the UN agencies that are, uh, you know, calling for... um, donors to um, allocate more money to what they see as a looming humanitarian crisis. Um, In terms of, you know, efforts that could be made, I know that there have been some suggestions of a naval escort of NATO ships to bring wheat safely through the ports. Um, I'm not sure how effective such proposals will be. Uh, you know, a naval escort by NATO could, could be seen as a, a provocation by Russia. Um, and you might be aware that the, the leaders of the African Union, um, including Macky Sall, the, the current chairman, and Musafaki, uh, the president of the AU, were in Moscow today requesting Putin to allow shipments of wheat That are stuck in the Black Sea ports to be released. Not surprisingly, he blamed this on the West and the Ukraine. Um, I don't think Moscow will be too sympathetic to the plight of the poor in in developing countries. And I also think he benefits from a propaganda perspective by claiming that his hands are tied and, and it's really the West's fault. And this this really can help some of the pro-Russian sentiment that already exists in many countries in the African region, uh, like Mali and Central African Republic, um, that are you know that are blaming the West uh, for the the global food price crisis that we're seeing at the moment.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. So there's pro-Russian sentiment in Africa, and a lot of it is directing hate towards Western countries. They're blaming Western countries for global food shortages.
0: Yeah, well, there's been a, a long-standing resentment um, towards the West, particularly the EU and specifically France in, in the Sahel region, um, particularly in, in countries like Mali, a little bit Guinea. Uh, we're seeing some of this growing in, in places like Senegal. It's been in the Central African Republic. Um the mercenary, Russian mercenary group, the Wagner group, has been um, involved in some countries in the Sahel, uh, ostensibly trying to help them uh, get rid of jihadist insurgents in the region. Um, but there have been clear indications that there have been uh, Russian propaganda activities in that region to to get greater sympathy uh, for, for Putin's cause. Also, South Africa, uh, we're, we're seeing some populist uh, politicians there including julius malema of the economic freedom front uh basically advocating on behalf of putin's uh invasion justifying it and and saying that the the west basically provoked it so yeah there, there is definitely um russian sentiment in in the region
1: got gotcha. you um, I just had another question about, um, I guess, Lithuania's suggestion of having a naval escort of NATO ships uh, bring wheat safely through the ports. I know you said you don't think these proposed solutions will be that successful. I guess what other solutions do you think might be a little bit effective in solving or at least uh, mitigating some of these effects of the global f- food shortage?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I don't really have um, very good solutions. Um, I, I I think other other people are hopefully thinking about this, um, in in terms of so that's in terms of actually getting wheat that is that is stuck in that region out. Um, I do think we are definitely seeing a lot of mobilization by the donor community to um, allocate funding to help uh, poor countries in Africa and elsewhere deal with the crisis. Um, Just several weeks ago, the World Bank said it will make $30 billion available to help with the food security crisis. Um, Some of this, about half of it, is, is reallocating funds that had not been dispersed, but that had been targeted towards agriculture or nutrition programs. And then another half of it will actually be new projects. Um, And then there's been some other proposals that have been put on the table, including uh, encouraging countries like the U.S. to put a temporary um, halt to biofuel mandates and subsidies. Right now, um, over 30, 35 percent of Uh, The U.S.'s maize crop goes into ethanol production, and about 40% of its uh, soybean oil production goes towards biodiesel production. So, you know, thinking about the opportunities to instead converting for biodiesel or ethanol, um, you know, actually exporting uh, that maize or soybean or vegetable oil as food um, has been put on the table uh, as a temporary uh, solution as well.
1: I guess I had one more question. Um, a lot of people are calling this um, like an apocalypse. <laughs> in your opinion, how do you think the global food crisis will play out? And do you see the world sort of delving into this full um, on apocalypse, reco- a world recovering from these rising food prices and heightened food insecurity?
0: Well, I hope I, I definitely hope so. <laughs> um, I hope we're not in a permanent apocalypse. Um, and so certainly we we won't come out of this. Um, the question is how long it will take uh, before things get better. Um, you know, something to keep in mind is that agricultural seasons are staggered across the globe and um, some countries will be okay in the short term because they bought fertilizer on forward contracts. Um, But it may be the next agricultural season. They may not be able to import fertilizer. Um, At the same time, you know, as we're seeing, you know, drought in India provoking the ban on uh, wheat exports there, we're seeing Brazil really having a great wheat production season now. And it's been, um, I think, its it's sales to Arab countries uh, have increased by more than 400% in early 2022 compared to last year. Um, So, you know, we'll we'll kind of see, I think, um, these ups and downs in different parts of the globe uh, based on variations in in climate and agricultural seasons. Um, and, And hopefully some of that will help smooth out over time. Um, you know, in the hopes that the war ends uh, soon and these uh, these wheat shipments that are blockaded there, um, the oil shipments, the, the vegetable sunflower oil shipments blockaded there can finally be released.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really informative.
0: Thanks, Lauren, for the opportunity. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins podcast on foreign affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave
1: a rating.